Okay, uh, we've been talking about uh, faith over fear. Now, we, a few weeks ago, we shifted gears when we were not able to all come together to protect ourselves from this virus, and um, we've, we've had to do things differently. And so we wanted to shift gears and talk about faith over fear. And um, so today, what I want to do is, is get right into it and talk about the nature of faith, because it's easy just to talk about faith and things like that, but what we really mean when, we, when we're talking about that, I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews, no, I'm not. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Thank you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And that's something that's very familiar to a lot of us. And I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of verses, then we're going to come back to it. And maybe, Lord willing, in the weeks ahead, we may kind of go through this whole big passage and learn uh, what God wants us to learn about it. But the Word of God is our authority. So I'm going to be reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, nature of faith, where he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And down in verse 6, he gives a couple of illustrations, Abel and Enoch, and we'll come back to those another time. But in verse 6 he says that without faith it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So uh, we're talking about the nature of faith and uh, as it deals with our fears and helps us overcome fear. So fear is kind of like a natural, it's kind of like a natural inborn uh, you know, uh, built-in defense mechanism that we human beings have. And it's di- designed to protect us. And you've probably heard of like some of the popular responses um, that we have whenever we're like frightened and things like that, like fight or flight. You know, those are two typical responses. But, you know, like in our present crisis, what they're telling us to do, you know, in, 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 you know, in the face of all this fear is just like stay home, <laughs> right? And so it's like fight or flight or how about stay home and just like do nothing. Now, you would think that a lot of us would be like really, really good at this, you know, stay home and do nothing. But, uh, you know, it's turning out to be tougher than we thought it would be. There's another reaction that sometimes happens. Maybe you've experienced this. It's like um, whenever you're afraid, whenever you're frightened, maybe you're paralyzed by fear. And that, that happens in, in, in people in tough situations. Sometimes they just freeze. They don't know what to do. don't know what to say. And maybe they can't even move. Um, so that, that might be happening. Maybe you feel like you're somewhat paralyzed by, by all that's going on in our world today. Uh, you know, they say some of the top fears that we have are, well, first of all, you know, like way up there, number one is uh, fear of death, and that is a, a very real fear, and fear like of failure. I'm always amazed as I look at these lists of like fears, top fears as people are surveyed, like one of the ones that always is mentioned is, is fear of public speaking, um, which I've done most of my life, but, you know, I always have a little bit of fear there, and if you think public speaking is tough, you ought to try public speaking by yourself with just like a camera, uh, yeah. It's a whole new thing. Um, anyway, um, many have been paralyzed by this fear. How about this one? This one, fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. There are so many things today that we just don't know. A lot of the questions that are being asked, uh, you know, 
you, you even hear it in like all the press conferences and things like that, all these questions that are asked. So often the response is, we just don't know. We, we just, we just don't, don't know yet. We don't know yet. We will know hopefully, but we don't know yet. Uh, like things like all these questions, like when will this end? We don't know yet. Um, when will we find a cure that people who get sick, that it'll, it'll help them just get well? We don't know yet. Um, when are we going to be able to gather back together in public, right, and gather back together, you know, for worship? And, and when's baseball season going to start? When are we going to be able to have opening day, you know, right? Uh, we don't know yet. Um, and then, like, things like, well, when is a vaccine going to be available? Still, the answer is we just don't no yet. Uh, and so the unknown. Um, the yet, don't know yet, it, it means that there's more to do. There's more to do. And we certainly have more to do. Now it's kind of like, not just in America, but in the whole world, God has hit the pause button. And everything is kind of stopped. And I don't know of a time in the modern world, that everything, not just here, but across the world, has just stopped. And people have, have, have been just kind of been, you know, been put out of motion, you might say. And uh, we're just having to wait. We're having to just do the smart things. But guess what? Even though that's the case, it's not a time to do nothing. It's a time that there is more to do. There's a lot to do yet. Okay, so what we're trying to do during this time is to focus on the Lord and on his word. And we're trying to find creative ways to do that, find creative ways to study the Bible and find creative ways to share together. And so thankful we've got all kinds of technology to help us do that. As many are meeting together in various formats and, and having a little time to connect. And, and we're, we're even gathering and, and we've even have groups that are gathering for prayer together uh, over Zoom or over other media uh, means of doing that. Uh, we're trying to find connective way, ways to connect and, and not just pray together, but, but just to have fellowship and check on one another and keep each other updated, keep each other encouraged. We're also trying to find creative ways to share God's love, uh, to, to share to the world. It's not just we believe these things, but to do things that show love. We have uh, so many of you that are uh, women, that, uh, that maybe some guys, I don't know, that are making masks and different things that are going into nursing homes and they're able to use those until they get uh, more supply. Um, there's a lot of people helping with groceries and doing things like that, but we want to show the world, we want to take this opportunity to show the world the love of God and the hope that comes through knowing Him and knowing His good news, the gospel. And we want to spread that, uh, you know, spread the gospel, not the virus, right? So now we're talking about faith over fear. It's easy to say that. It's easy to just say, you know, we just need to have faith. Oh, we need to just trust God. And, and, and I, I get that. A lot of times it's kind of like, well, just, just trust God. Just trust the Lord. Just, you know, just put your trust in him. You know, we'll get through it. But there's many of you out there saying like, okay, yeah, I hear that. But, but what is that all about? Like, how do I do that? I mean, what, what, what's, what's the deal with that, okay? Um, and that's what we want to talk about today, what this really is, because you can throw that word around faith, and it's easy to say. It's easy to say, trust God. It's easy to say, just have faith. But it's a whole other thing to do it and do it right. Um, so what, what is that faith? What is it all about? And that's why we're turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, in this chapter, he's not so much giving us a definition of faith, but he's giving us a description 
of true faith. And the first thing we see here as we get into this passage is the demand for faith. In fact, the last verse that I read there was verse 6 where he says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. It's not possible to please God except through faith. Even going back to the Old Testament times, this was always God's plan, is that those, and even all the stuff under a different system uh, of things that existed then, that it was always not just the things that you did, but that you did it out of trust and faith. And this is what God had provided at that time, as he began to reveal his whole plan. Um, In Habakkuk, uh, chapter two, or um, yeah, chapter two, verse four. He says, "The just shall live by faith." And Paul refers to that. Faith has always been God's plan. So, what is this all about? And if it's impossible to please God without it, I need to know what it is. What's interesting is in this verse six, when he says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please Him." For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. What you need to know is that word faith that's translated into our language, faith, uh, in the original language of the Bible that this was written in, in common Greek, and centuries ago, or thousands of years ago, um, the word faith and the word believe actually are from the same root word, the same word in the original language. And so they're talking about the same thing. And what we need to realize, a lot of times in our language, we throw around those words and they have our word believe has really kind of gotten a, a broad, broad meaning. And we want to dial that down today. And so if we're going to talk about having faith over fear, we've got to have the right kind of faith and we've got to have faith in the right thing, or in this case, real faith in God. Um, and it's so important. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us, that it is by grace that we're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Then he goes on in verse 9 and says, that not of works, lest any of us should boast. And then he tells us that we're like his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good things that are going to come out of our life. He's making us and crafting us into something that is good and something that glorifies him. But it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. Now, when we talk about saved, we've had, you know, people coming and, and, and seeking God and coming here that, you know, you didn't grow up hearing a lot of these words, and, and it's like saved. You're talking about being saved. Saved, what are you talking about? Saved? Saved from what? Well, when the Bible talks about that, it's talking about, well, first of all, being saved from sin and the effects of the sin and the curse that's on our life that separated us from God. And it doesn't just mean that I'm saved from, uh, from spending eternity separated from God. It means that I'm saved and delivered from the life that I had into a life that is filled with his resurrection power. So being saved just doesn't mean that. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there just want to be saved from hell. You know, just, they just want, I just don't want, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell. You know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Because there's a lot of people that want to go to heaven, and they don't want to go to hell, but they really don't want to trust the Lord, and they don't really want to be a Christ follower. It doesn't, faith doesn't work that way. Um, but So when he says it's by grace that we're saved, the grace of God, uh, the grace of God, that is, that God has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. That when you talk about grace, uh, that is God's, and we, we try to describe it this way, God's undeserved favor, that we could not earn it, we could not deserve it. It's something that he did for us. In other words, the price that only we could pay by being separated from him, he himself took our sins upon himself. And in those moments on the cross when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He even experienced that on our behalf. 
to pay for our sins. He was the only one qualified to pay for our sins. So that's what the grace of God is all about. It's about God himself. Because in order to forgive us our sins, our sins had to be paid for. Or else he couldn't just ignore them or he wouldn't be holy and perfect anymore. But yet when Jesus came, fully God, but fully human, he was the only one qualified that could bring lost humanity and a perfect God together. He's the only one that could pay for your sins, and that's what he did on the cross. He took your sins and my sins, and he paid. It's like with our sin, we have like a sin debt. We're so in debt, and we could never pay that off. Jesus was the only one that could pay that sin debt. And in like Romans chapter 4, he says, this is what happens when you put your faith in God's grace, is that your sin debt is applied to Jesus' payment on the cross. And he said... Paid in full. That is, when Jesus died, remember the last thing that he said is, it is finished. And that word not only means completion, but it was a word used in accounting that was many times used to mark something finished or paid in full. He paid your sin debt in full. But you know what? It doesn't just end there. In Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about how that, not only that, not only has he covered our sin and paid for our sin, but see, I still don't have any, all my goodness, I don't have any righteousness. All my goodness The Bible says all the best I can do in God's eyes still looks like filthy, yucky rags. Uh, The good news is, is not only does he take my sin and pay for it, but then the righteousness and perfection of Christ is deposited into my account, or the old word is imputed into my account. That's Romans chapter 4. And what the old preacher said is true. Uh, I remember hearing this when I was a kid, that when you really put your faith and receive God's grace, your sins are covered by what Jesus did for you. He died for you. He, he, he bled and died for you. And so he would say that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus covering your heart. And he, he sees Christ's righteousness there. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. That's a good way to describe it. And so he says that bore by grace. So it's the grace of God, Jesus doing this for us, that makes salvation possible. We receive it by faith. Faith is how we receive it. We're not saved just by our faith. We're saved by grace. We receive that grace by faith, by trusting in him. Uh, And and it is a gift. This grace is a gift that we have to receive. If somebody is going to give you a gift, uh, they can pay for it, and they can make it so uh, beautiful and prepared and offer it to you. But unless you receive it, Uh, It's never going to be yours. And the way you receive that gift is by faith, by believing and trusting in him. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Now, the wages of sin is death. That's all we can earn. Wage is something you earn. That's all we can do. That's the best we can do is death. And by the way, the reason why there's death in the world is it came because humanity sinned and sin brought the curse of sin and that curse of sin is death and so that's the reason why we have that wages of sin is death but i'm glad it doesn't stop there he says but the gift of god did you notice that it's a gift that god has paid for if somebody gives you a gift and then later on sends you a bill i have bad news they didn't give you a gift all right they sold you something that you have to pay off that's not how god does it 
It's a gift. It's a gift that Jesus paid for. So the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And he's careful to point out, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus was the only one that could pay for that. And so that's it. So before describing what faith is, uh, perhaps we should go on and talk about what it's not because we received that grace, that salvation, that relationship with God by faith. So what is that involved in that? Is it just you believe it's true? What is it? Well, first of all, let's talk about what it's not. And it's not just believing something's true, right? It's not just belief in that I mentally assent to the fact that this is a true thing. It's got to be more than that. In fact, if that's all that you have is just a mental assent to something being a true fact, then the Bible says you're really no better off than the demons. In James chapter 2, verse 19, he says that you say there's one God, you, you believe that, you, you know you're doing well. Uh, the bad news is, is the demons also believe. They believe. They know this is true, and it says they tremble. They've even got more, more holy awe and fear of God than, than most people do. So it's not just that something is true fact. It's got to be more than a mental assent. So when he's talking about true belief, it's got to be more than that. Another thing it's not is it's not just wishful thinking. Um, just like, boy, I hope so, and I'm just going to just wish and try to be positive. It's got to be more than that. Um, you know, it says that uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, in the Bible, the hope that we have is not just wishful thinking. It's like uh, most of the time when we talk about hope, it's wishful thinking. Like you might be thinking right now, boy, I hope he hurries up and gets done with this. And that might just be wishful thinking like on your part. But when we talk about hope in the Bible, it's something entirely, entirely different than that. It is a joyful anticipation. That's what our hope is. It's a joyful anticipation. I am joyfully anticipating everything that he's promised. I haven't received it all yet, but I'm already enjoying part of it because I have this confidence, and it's a byproduct of my faith. So uh, just wishful thinking, like people think of, it's, it's not, not the same as, as belief or faith. And I'll tell you something else. It's not. Okay, we're going to jerk a knot in this thing, right? It is not just repeating Positive affirming words. It's not just that. Because you can say a lot of words and not really truly believe them deep down inside. And it's not just saying that you have faith. And a lot of us talk about how much we, you know, we have faith. I've got faith in God. I've got, people are saying that. Well, I've just got faith in God. You can say that and really it not be true. In fact, that's what James was dealing with in James chapter 2 of a said faith instead of a real faith. In fact, he said, if a faith is just a said faith, it's just you say you have faith, and that's all that there is, and he calls it a dead faith. He says that a real faith is, and he says, you know, hey, I have faith, but I'm going to show it by what comes through my life. Um, there's action. There's fruit that comes through. Uh, so it's not just saying that you have it. And I'll tell you something else that it is not. It's not just believing in spite of evidence. That you just believe something, just a blind leap and all that. It's not believing in spite of evidence. That, my friend, is superstition. That's not faith, okay? Because our faith has substance. It has evidence, okay? And so here's the deal. It's not just positive thinking, just the power of positive thinking. I mean, something is not so, uh, you know, because I believe it. I mean, I mean it's, it's not that I make it so by believing it. I believe it because it is so. It involves so much more than these things we're talking about. Here's what it is. Yeah, belief, understanding this is true. That's part of it, but it goes deeper than that. True faith is trusting, 
relying, submitting to all that he's done and all that he's said. Trusting, relying, submitting. When we do that, it produces action. It produces obedience. It produces fruit through our life. Um, I try to use this uh, illustration a lot about the difference between just believing something's true and really having saving faith that receives God's grace and transforms your life. I use this illustration all the time, and I've heard it all my life, and now I say it. And, but it's a good illustration, the difference between just believing something's true. And a lot of people believe it's true, but do you really have faith that gives you victory over fear? So here's the illustration that we use so often, and that is in the old days, they were building two big skyscrapers side by side, and, and as they got up a good ways, there was this guy that took a wire and stretched it all the way across, a tight wire. And he was one of those tight wire, tight rope walker type guys, and so workers were up there, and as he got up there, and this happened, and a crowd began to gather down, and a crowd began to gather up there where they were working, and the guy walks all the way across, hundreds of feet in the air, he walks all the way across to the other building, and then turns around and comes back, and the crowd is just cheering, and everybody's yay, yay. And, and so he bows and everything, and, and so the construction workers are all there. He says, how many people believe I can do that again? And everybody's like, yeah, we believe you can do it again. Do it again. I want to see that again. And then right there by him is a wheelbarrow full of bricks. And so he, he says, he gets a hold of this wheelbarrow, and he says, how many of you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow and that I can push it all the way to the other side and turn around and come back? And everybody's like, yeah, we believe go for it go for it and there was a man standing there and with his hard hat on he says sir do you believe I can do that he goes yeah I believe you can do it he dumped the bricks and he said then get in get in buddy right so that's the difference between just believing you can do it and having faith is faith submits trust and relies totally and some of you right now you just need to get in that's what you need to do because we all have a natural ability to have faith. I remember years ago, I was talking to a man, uh, and he was, he was really searching for God. And he came to understand this enough to where he said, you know, I just wish I could have faith. Well, yeah, you can. It is a gift from God. You have the ability to have faith. We have this natural built-in ability to have faith, and you exercise it all the time. Like, if you ever have to have a major surgery, which is like a, a big surgery on you, and you're going to go uh, under the anesthesia, and maybe it's a very risky surgery, and many have had that done. Um, you put your life in the hands of the surgeon and the anesthesiologist. Um, maybe you get on an airplane, and you don't know how to fly an airplane. Um, you're trusting, and you're, I mean, you are trusting and having faith, and you're actually putting your life in the pilot's hands that you really have faith that he does know how to, to do this thing. Um, so there are a lot of other illustrations like that we could talk about. So you actually have the ability to have faith. But the question is now is will you, even though you do things like that, will you take the word of God and believe it to the point that you put your trust and you trust your eternal soul to what Christ has already done for you and to follow him and to walk with him. And if you do, it will change your whole life, it'll change your whole eternity. And when you do this, it's not just going to change your life and your eternity. This faith and this walk with God, this relationship with the Lord, uh, it's going to enable you to overcome anything that the world or the devil can throw your way. Uh, John wrote about that in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, where he says, 
who whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, this whole thing of receiving God's grace by faith and trusting in him, Jesus uses an illustration about what happens there. It's like you're born all over again. You become a new person. And that's where that whole term born again comes from, is that your life has been changed by this. So when he says you've been born of God, that's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on to say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We sing this old song, faith is the victory, and that's what he's saying there. And so the demand for faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And when he talks about believing, he's talking about trusting, relying, and submitting. But then we'll close out with talking about a little bit about the description here. Because he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now that word substance there is, a, is an ancient word that's translated into our language, and it's actually a compound word that means to stand under And it's a word that indicates uh, a support, a foundation, a confidence, an assurance or substance. See, this right here, what we're talking about, it's not just some weird myth. There is substance. There is foundation to it. And, And this is the substance of our hope, substance of things hoped for. Remember, it's not just wishful thinking. It is a joyful and confident anticipation of the fulfillment of everything he's done and everything that he's said. And then he says it's also not just substance, but it's evidence. It's the evidence or the conviction. The word means conviction or proof of things not seen. Now, much um, that we trust in is, is, is intangible for the moment, like heaven, uh, even the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can't see him. We feel his effects. It's kind of like Jesus described the Spirit like the wind. Uh, you can't see it, but you feel the effect. So there's a lot of it that um, is intangible or invisible at the moment. But we not, we not only believe and have conviction and evidence and proof of this, but we are certain. We are, have a, a, a certainty uh, because of this. Kind of reminds me of the story about a little boy flying a kite. I used to love to do this. Just get in the pasture behind the house, you know, and, and get that kite just as high as I could get it up there on a good day. And, of course, you know, we lived on a farm, but still yet Granny would be hollering at us, hey, you better watch out for those power lines, you know, and uh, yeah, things like that. But uh, this story probably was you know, like in a big park or something. This little boy had his kite, man, he got it way, way up there, and the wind was just right, you know, not too hard, but not too soft, he's way up there, and and then about that time, a low cloud deck kind of rolled in, and so it's kind of weird that this string is going all the way up, and this old guy come up, and he says, hey, little fella, where's your kite? He goes, it's up there, and the guy goes, well, how do you know it's up there? I can't see it. And he goes, I can't see it either, mister, but I sure feel its tug. Yeah, and maybe that's the way it is with you. You, still, you sure feel that tug. Well, we humans, we really like to rely on our five senses, you know. You know, I've got to see it. I've got to touch it. I've got to smell. I've got all these things before I'm going to believe it. But I want to ask you, what's more real? What we can't see or what we can see. What's more real? Listen to this passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.18. Paul says, while we look at the things which are not seen, we look, excuse me, let me start that over again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
So here's what he's saying. We look at the things, we're not looking, we're not focusing on the things that we can see and touch. Because everything that we can see and everything that we can touch is going to be gone. It's just temporary. But it's the things that we can't see with the naked human eye that are forever, that are eternal. So how in the world can I look at something that I can't see, right? There's only one way, and that's by the eyes of faith. And that's what he's talking about there. So the, the, the truth is, is that whatever is permanent and whatever is eternal is more real than something that's just here for a little while and gone. So truth is that which will always be true and never change. And reality is that which will never pass away. And, um, and even in verse 3 where he says, By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We don't have time to get all into that verse, but um, even what we see, God created everything out of nothing. But even more than that, what, and, and this, is, this is like thousands of years. I mean, I mean the thing about it is, 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 is what science does is science just helps us understand better the awesome work that God's already done. I think it was Lord Kepler who's credited with saying that science is merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Uh, but even as we make all these discoveries, we see that the word of God was already right on target thousands of years ago because everything that we see is made up of molecules and atoms and even smaller parts than that that we can't see, not with the naked eye. And so this is the truth that he's trying to tell us. So it is substance, it is evidence, and it is understanding. He says, by faith we understand, that we can understand this. So when we're saved by grace through faith, it unlocks everything because we enter in that relationship with the Lord. Another thing happens is God's presence actually comes into us that through the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the natural person can't really understand the things of God. And so the way this plays out is as you begin to understand enough about what God has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself, that you put your faith and your trust in that completely. When you do that and you are, in fact, born again, Christ's payment on the cross is applied to your sin debt. Uh, His righteousness is deposited in your account. You're transformed. You're, you're, you're become a new person. Now, you still live in this body of flesh that's cursed by sin. We still live in a sin-cursed world. But now, here's the thing. This book of truth, the Word of God, isn't just print on a page. Because now, we know the author. And it is alive and powerful. It's like the, 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 the Word is here. We're not just reading words on a page, but it actually enters into us. And the power of the author lives inside of us. And he said that these things are spiritually discerned and you can't understand them without the presence of God, the Spirit of God within you. So there's so much that you cannot get your mind around ever at all unless you know him, unless you already have faith. But once you do, you start to grow. Now you can grow in understanding. Now you can continue to know him better. And this grows and grows throughout your life. Um, because there's a lot of areas in life I just can't process. I mean, there's a lot of things I can't understand. There's a lot of things out there, like that airplane. I don't understand how all those things work, but I, I'm still willing to get on there and trust that you know what they're telling me is true. Um, there are things about God and about his truth that's bigger than our human mind. And listen, if, if, if you could contain all about God in your mind, if you have to do that, then how big a God would he really be? 
I mean, if you could contain him all in your mind, you, you might could feel like you could control him. And, and I'm telling you what, that is not our God. He blows our mind, right? He goes beyond our ability to process. So there comes points that we trust him. But you know what? You can do that too. My grandchildren do that all the time. It's just like a child. There's things that we tell them they do not understand, but we're trying to protect them, and so they trust us. And, and they do what we say, even though you try to explain it, they can't understand it. So faith isn't a blind leap. It's not just like some shot in the dark. It is substance. It is evidence. It is understanding. And you know what? One more thing. It's witness. And we'll come back to this, Lord willing, maybe next week, but it's also witness because he says, by it, those who went before us, the elders obtained a good testimony. And the word there is for a testimony or a witness or a report. And, and we're going to talk about how you know, people could see how this has affected our lives, our decisions, our actions. And he's going to give us a lot of illustration about that. But you know what? God wants to use your mind as well as your heart. And so this, you don't just check your brain at the door. There is, ebs, there is substance. There is evidence. There comes understanding. Some people will like to say, you know, I think Jesus is just a crutch. You know, you guys just trying to use Jesus as a crutch. Well, I want to tell you something I heard years ago, and you may have heard it, that Jesus isn't just a crutch. According to the Bible, he's a stretcher. Because you can't even limp into heaven without Jesus, Okay. So let me just ask a few questions before we close. It's a witness. What kind of witness or testimony is coming out of your life right now? I mean, we're really finding out the truth about people as things get dialed down, as things get tighter. We're really finding out who we are, okay? It's a little harder to be fake whenever all this other stuff's taken away. So what kind of testimony, what kind of witness, what kind of report's coming out of your life right now? Is it coming from faith in the Lord or is it just natural you. You're walking by faith or you're walking by, by sight. Um, and so we really find out who we are. Faith is no greater than its object. And some people even almost talk like they have faith in faith. You know, it's just the power of faith. And it's, listen, it's not like Luke Skywalker using the force, okay? Use the force, Luke. It's not that, okay? Faith is no greater than its object. And you have no more authority than the one that you've submitted to. The Lord is the one who has all authority and all power. So all of your faith is in Him. Is your faith completely in Christ? Or is it in your ability to have faith? Or is it in yourself? Or is it in something else? Listen, the Lord will never fail you. And He will always be faithful to you. And even when we can't understand everything, we know that we're standing on solid rock during these storms that are coming. So it's more than positive thinking. It's substance. It's evidence. Are you trusting? Are you relying? Are you submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as both your Savior and your Lord? If you are, then you have a faith that connects you to the grace and power of God Almighty and that can propel you past any fear that may come along. Now, if you've got questions about this and things like that, you know, maybe not comment, but send a personal message. Uh, PM us and, uh, or, or me personally. And we'd like to, we'd like to connect with you. Uh, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ability to trust in you. And thank you, Lord, for your grace that's already paid the price 
to give us victory over ourselves, over sin, over the world, over death. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.